Good morning, America. This is Jerry Rhodes coming to you. It's on a Friday, April 29th, 2022. Well, here we are again. Uh, Sherry and I are going to try this new approach where I just don't take off on something and, uh, and uh, with long-winded statements of opinion, and we just do some questions and answers just to give up someone else's perspective. And eventually, I'd like to evolve into where we have other people on the show. But today, uh, we're, we're going to talk about where is America going and how can we sustain our troubled great American enterprise. And first of all, has this become a one-man show? Am I wrong? In thinking that our democracy has gone off the cliff already, and this is whoever we we elect as president, it's really up to that human being to uh, tell us what we're going to do. I mean, that sounds a lot like Adolf Hitler or Joe Stalin or Mao Tung. The great dictators of communist China, Russia, uh, the other tyrannies that have taken place when it becomes a one-man show, because that's what it, it appears that it's becoming. When you go back in our history and look at who who the past presidents were and are. When they come in and now have, they think they have the authority to sign executive orders on their first day in the job that completely reverses the policies of America that were working, regardless of who the president was. And so now we're going to have to deal with the consequences. And so we want to really get down to. Uh, how how that can happen and how we can correct that, Sherry? What are you What are you got there to get me going? Can I do this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, how do you uh, get control with two political parties vying for control? Okay, well that's <laughs> that's the big question. Uh, and I'm not sure there is a one-sentence answer because the two parties are our history. And it goes back to the fact that when our Constitution was developed, um, and I think it was, who was it that made the statement, Adams, I think, that if we have a two-party system and they become one party, then we're no different than what, what King Edward was when, when the pilgrims got on a boat and came over here to get away from that and do it differently. So I think we have to to deal with is the two-party system the intent of the Constitution because it doesn't propose a two-party system in the Constitution. In fact, when you when you want to have a bipartisan debate. If you want to have partisan debate and arrive at a bipartisan decision, I think that's what they intended, that 
that we have consensus. Well, today, and this has been going on since World War II, when basically Roosevelt took over as, as the driving force to get us out of World War II uh, with great leadership, handed it over after that to um, after he he after he in his second term he had to step down to a senator Truman, and ever since then we've had the two parties vying for control. You know we have the Democrats and we have the Republicans, and they have taken their positions based upon some ideology that they've grown up with, and uh, so that's what we're dealt today. And so what this podcast is about is why that's not working, why it will not work, and how do you break the gridlock so it does work. And I think the example is Joe Manchin today, is the one person swing vote that has the Democrats being held accountable for their crazy progressive ideology of what Schumer said, we're going to transform America into what? Into another China? We're becoming more like China than China becoming like us. So I don't know what is in his head or Pelosi's or AOC's or on the other hand, those that followed Donald Trump and, uh, and it wasn't an insurrection in, in January 6th. It was just a, a, a same as it was for George Floyd. It was, it was a protest turning into a riot. And, and they made George Floyd a deity, and they threw out Donald Trump, dumped Trump with the bathwater, and elected the guy that, that wasn't even in the running for for the um, presidency until the Democrats decided that was the only way they could get rid of Trump. And so we we don't have a democracy here. It's not based on constitutional government. So with a two-party system, it's not gonna work. So this podcast and my books are about a third-party swing vote, the American Enterprise Party. So this is about keeping America great. Yeah, America is great. We don't have to make America great again. Uh, I I know Donald Trump did some good things. If he had a humble bone in his body, he'd still be president. But we have to move on. America's been great since 1776. Those people that don't think we're great and want to remake history in their image are the enemies. We have enemies from within to destroy America as uh, the Constitution intended. So where is America going? How can we sustain our great American enterprise? Well, I think our leaders have taken us into so much debt and contrived a way of of paying down the debt by printing up currency or issuing treasury bills to the point that 
that we're a thousand trillion, uh, and that's what a trillion is, a thousand billions, and that would be 30 trillion, that's a thousand uh, billions, 30,000 billions in debt. No one can comprehend 15 zeros. I can't, I'm a CPA and and I was with the biggest accounting firm in the world and we dealt with big companies, but there's been nothing to this degree. And it's just every day going up. The debt clock, if you don't believe me, is the only credible source we have to look at America's true financial condition. It's www.us.debtclock. And uh, it's you, you can look at it for America as a whole. You can look at it as state by state. You can look at, at other countries in comparison to America. Uh, it's got GDP and it's got what we're how much we're paying to government employees, the, the amount of pensions, and it's got algorithms that forecast that day by day on the basis of history and also what's happening with new leadership. So uh, it's not just my opinion. You, there are credible analytics behind everything that I have proposed in the podcast and in my books. But if we have 50 states or teams, how can they all go in the same direction? Well, we're not treating them as teams. <clears throat> we're treating the the federal government as a giant institution. And then we're treating each state as a an institution. Not a, nothing set up like teams. So my vision of the great American enterprise is that it is a uh, giant corporation with 50 subsidiaries. The giant corporation is on the basis of, of leadership and team members being the enterprising American workers that we have to lead towards the team's goals and objectives. So we very clearly as leadership at the federal level, and that is a gang of 545, which is 100 senators, 435 representatives, nine Supreme Court justices, and a president um, without term limits except for the president that are going to, to dictate the direction that, that, that the, I guess the, uh, uh, I'd call it USA Inc. is setting for each of its 50 sub subsidiary uh, enterprises. So it's all built on an enterprise concept, taking it away from institutionalizing everything so no one is accountable for anything and if you really think about it, there is no accountability at any level as to why we're in so much debt and what we're going to do about it. And how, how can we not pop the derivative bubble, which is the stock market, the Fed increase. Hello again. Sorry for the uh, change in uh, recording here. I had a coughing outburst that we had to get rid of. And so this is the carry on from the previous segment that we were recording, which I was talking about the derivative bubble, which I think it's important for everyone to understand. A derivative bubble is, is built by the stock market exchange. 
it's estimating values. It isn't guaranteeing values. It's giving the amounts that are speculated. And if you can weigh the risk against speculation, then you either buy or sell. It's really an individual thing, but it doesn't, uh, it isn't uh, a factual valuation of what that stock is worth. So it's a derivative. The other derivatives is what can the Federal Reserve do when it changes investment or uh, interest rates for its mem member banks, its discount rate, which impacts the cost of capital and the availability of capital. So it's a part of the derivative bubble. And the rest of it is the country's fiscal uh, status. You know, are we making money? Do we owe too much money? Are we are we in negative cash flow? Um, are we insolvent where we can't pay our bills? Um, you know, that giant derivative bubble is valued worldwide at about $600 trillion. America is a good $500 trillion of that. China and, and the other competitive countries are a part of that bubble. If America's derivative bubble bursts, it has a uh, tsunami effect on the rest of the world because right now a good part of that derivative bubble is driven by this by the supply lines that we over a period of the last 30 40 years have moved the responsibility for manufacturing overseas a, a, a good share of it at least 30 or 40 percent of it <clears throat> has gone to China and South Korea, Japan, uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, Hong Kong, you name it, around the Asian uh, perimeter there, uh, they've taken over a good 80% of the supply lines. And what are those supply lines? Well, they all started out being mainly steel and you know metals, manufacturing, heavy metals. And then it moved into uh, food supplies and technology and cell phones and uh, computer chips and, you know, the components that make up America's um, consumption availability for food and uh, computers and cell phones and automobiles and you know, it's it's a insidious thing to think that we've shifted our the the very essence of our wealth overseas. I guess uh, uh, feeling they wouldn't steal anything, we could do it with uh, a a uh, confidence that they wouldn't steal from us, which they have, particularly China. Japan did it initially. South Korea, they've taken our initial ideas from the past because this great enterprise has been the, the main source of idea ideas. When people are free to think and free to do things on their own, they come up with terrific ideas. And then when, the, when their living is dependent upon it, they then work to, to uh, perfect those ideas and generate wealth. So this wealth that was being generated since the Second World War, we shifted the very foundation of that to someone else. 
And yes, they've been stealing it, re, re uh, reverse engineering it, for making it better uh, and cheaper, and then selling it back to our retailers, our wholesalers and retailers, plus shipping to increase the cost of living here in America to the point that it's being inflated, the, the derivative bubble is being inflated, the stock market's inflated on the basis of the speculation that America will continue to be the hegemon um, co uh, consumer in the world to support all the rest of the world uh, supplying us with our, our, our consumption. And then they can build their consumption around the fact that we're willing to buy including profits for the rest of the world and higher and higher prices. And then our economy can't support that because of the cost of capital. And it will, we no longer can borrow to support those, those supply lines. And at this point in time, we're at, 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 a, at, a, at a juncture where we're either going to go belly up with a bursting of the derivative bubble or we're going to solve the problem. And it definitely is a serious problem. So this website or this podcast is all built on trying to reverse the mistakes of the Democrats and the Republican administrations over a period of years because they weren't uh, enterprise people. They were lifetime bureaucrats, senators, um, representatives who that spend their life in politics because they think that's the way to become famous and wealthy. Most of the wealthy in the country today are not entrepreneurs. They're, they're politicians and they're the billionaires that made their money off of high tech, coming up with software ideas after Microsoft stole their product from, <coughs> from uh, Sorry for another interruption. I had another coughing episode. But uh, Microsoft, as, as we know, stole Windows from the ideal Windows from Xerox. And uh, Apple, uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Job, Jobs working with uh, Gates, uh, stole the idea of uh, microcomputers from other entrepreneurs. And out of that grew the cell phone industry where the cell phone became uh, a computer you can wear on your wrist and do miracles things in terms of digital applications of, uh, of uh, enterprise products. So um, as that all drove the supply lines overseas, we have put trapped ourselves into this uh, derivative bubble, and the more we inflate it, inflation is 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 eventually going to burst the bubble. Um, more trouble we're in. So we double the bubble, we double the trouble, and America at this point is troubled. Um, so we need to talk about the fifty states which I call the subsidiary teams, how that fits into the uh, 
what they usually call a corporate corporation is the, is the uh, controlling entity, which should be the uh, uh, the mother entity. Uh, it's sometimes called a monopoly. Uh, I, I call them monopsonies. The difference between monopoly and monopsony is monopoly is selling the product. The, the monopsony is buying the product. So if we're buying the products from other monopolies, and the primary monopsony in this country is the government, and the more the business is being paid for by the government, the more it's being controlled by the government. And if all of our supply lines are provi provided by monopolies overseas, it, it destroys the essence of competition. It destroys the uh, essence of debate. It, de it destroys uh, how we problem solve because we're gonna call everything an issue between the supplier and the, and, and the consumption market. So it's all about enterprise and economics, not about institutional accounting um, of cash in and cash, cash out, like we're running a corner drugstore, where at the end of the day, you open the cash register, see how much cash is left, and that's your profit. If there's no cash left there, then you have to go to the bank. So how do we hold the 50 states, the governors, accountable? Every governor, and right now there's 27 um, blue states. No, sorry. Um, 27 red states, and there are 23 blue states. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that we have uniparties running these, these states. Illinois, New York, and California are always going to be run by Democrats. Uh, the, the smaller states like like Florida, North Carolina, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, those are the uh, the uh, swing vote states. They'll swing a presidency. Those are red states. So how is this insidious uniparty thing? move down into the states because as these ideologies become inter, uh, national, they infect our state governments as well as our federal government with this consensus uh, gone. It doesn't really, that we really don't have a constitution anymore in terms of a partisan uh, not not just partisan politics, but partisan decision making at all levels. So what we have now is that we have uh, the uh, controlling and great American enterprise is the federal government, and then each of the fifty states represents a subsidiary to that. If you're going to look at it in enterprise terms, they're subsidiaries to that holding company. Uh, Great American enterprise uh, at the federal level. So how how can we hold the federal government accountable? And will that then produce uh, uh, the solution if we have each of the fifty states also accountable to those those same analytics? So let's just go down and take a look at, at New York. Illinois and 
California. What would be some of the primary analytics for measuring their success? Well, first of all, it would be what, what is their surplus or deficit on the accrual basis, not on a cash-in, cash-out basis budget, but what on an accrual basis would be their surplus or deficit. <coughs> I think you'll find the analytics to be uh, surprising because they're all at a negative basis. They have, are borrowing more than they're making uh, because this concept of uh, we have to cover our cash flow with taxes, and taxes are never going to cover the cost of government unless we reduce the, the cost of government at all levels. And how do you do that? Well, you privatize within the concept of, of enterprises, you privatize the agencies. In the federal level, we have 24 agencies, and in every 50, every one of the 50 states, we have 24, 24 of the same agencies. So you multiply 24 times 50, you get 1,200 and some agencies that are funded. What a waste. I mean, we, we have a giant uh, monopsony here, and it's being run by monopolies from overseas at this point. So how do we fix that? Well, we have to treat them like they're, they're subsidiary enterprises. Each governor is, is responsible, as is the president of the United States, for keeping the enterprise great. We need to save the enterprise using the same concept. So each governor has got to be accountable for more than just a budget. They have to be accountable for certain key analytics. Number one, what is the surplus or deficit? Are they making any money? Which would be their, their accrued revenue compared to their accrued costs. Are they profitable? Isn't that strange that we don't know? Since we are the greatest enterprise ever invented, what our subsidiaries' uh, results of their operation is. We don't know who's making money and who's losing money, but I can guarantee you if you start looking at it this way, on an accrual basis, every state is losing money, as is the federal government. And how long can that go on? Oh, well, there are people that think we print the money so it can go on forever. Well, New York, Illinois, and California are also losing money, losing cash flow. Some, some of them have a gross domestic product. California does. It shows that they have a surplus, but they're not booking. And, they, and I think at one time they were on the accrual basis. They were the only state converted and have gone off of that basis, just like uh, Reagan took us, no, Nixon took us off the gold standard for supporting the value of, of the dollar. When that happened, the dollar then doesn't, <laughs> we can't prove its real value. 
at one point or another won't have any value. And that's uh, another aspect of running a country the way we've been running it. So then what, what about the blue states? Well, you know, they have the same problem because they historically are going to be Republican. Or, uh, no, I'm sorry, they're going to be Democrat. And then what about the red states? Well, they're also going to be pretty much Republican. So we have, again, this concept of not a two-party system where we debate things and come up with a consensus and have bipartisanship. At, at all levels, at the state levels, we have the same problem we got at the federal level, gridlock. And the decisions are being made by each governor on their own, not as a part of a, of, of a game plan for the whole country, as is the, the, the president with executive orders changes the game plan and completely destroys the progress that has been made. So is this look at, uh, you know, analysis that, uh, 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 is, does it make sense? What are the analytics for measuring a governor? How about crime rate? How about teen pregnancy rate? How about the, the drug death rates? How about the, um, 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 what, what are some of the others that I have in my book? Um, the, the graduation rate, um, the um, teen pregnancy, I may have said that. There are certain societal measurements that each state would be accountable for, and each state would then be compared to each other. And that would be done by the federal government, holding the governors accountable for their GDP uh, in relations to their debt. That's the principal analytic. And then all of the others underneath are going to be the components which make that either positive or negative. Uh, so the concept is, and in my book, uh, the American Enterprise Party, Volume 2 and 3, it lists what those analytical uh, measurements would be and the concept of each state competing against the other states to be able to have some competition and to improve the results of every state, whether they be red or blue, because they're all making up the United States. So this whole concept is, are they red or are they blue? Then we then become the United States, all competing not against ourselves or competing within, our, within ourselves, but with the other countries around the world that are not democracies. And they will uh, fi soon find out that they have no way of, of uh, competing because it is actually competition within, within America that will make us great. We then have an offensive game plan, not just a defensive game plan, nationally and for each state. And those have to be in their, in their annual budgets as to what their goals and objectives are for hitting these specific analytics. If, if they're negative, how we turn them into positive. It's all just managing uh, the enterprise and holding everyone accountable for their role in uh, 
making and keeping America great again. It's it's all it's been great all along. It's just that as we have proved things, we then have fallen into fallen into certain traps uh, of those that control uh, with fear uh, the elections. The elections have to be accountable with voters that have to prove their identity, in my opinion. Otherwise, we don't have a democracy. Any other questions you have, Sherry? <laughs> okay, what about the, here it is, what, this last one here. What has our national anthem and flag got to do with it? Yeah, what does our national anthem and flag have, have to do with this podcast? Well, it, it's really demonstrating um, how we are patriots, how we are ethical, how we are um, committed to the uh, great American enterprise, the uh, country of America, and the United States of America uh, on the basis of the Constitution, on the basis of our heritage, our history. Uh, we don't have to go back and try to rewrite it. Uh, enterprise, as I say in my books, are colorless. Doesn't matter what color, what ethnic group you are, what religion. We're all <coughs> the many that make up each individual. So we go from the many uh, to the individual. And we avoid having the few make all the decisions for us all uh, without our capability of removing them and uh, sustaining our democracy. So that's today's podcast. Even it's broken into different segments. Um, I'll continue to bring you uh, the, the information that's in my books. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Sherry. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for this. My, I, I had my fourth booster. I got the COVID shots, and then I got the first booster, and I ended up with a cold. I don't know if you'd call it a COVID cold. And then my second booster I just got about a week ago, and I'm still suffering from that. So, uh, so far, you know, I'm free of the the bad one, the COVID-19. Hope you are too. Talk to you later. Bye. Good morning, America. This is uh, Jerry Rhodes coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. It's... Uh, afternoon of April 11th, or maybe it's the 12th. Anyway, I was thinking that, that you're probably thinking, if you're listening to these, what uh, qualifications of this guy who's now writing about politics and uh, changes that he sees for American uh, budgeting and foreign relations and so on and so forth. And uh, is he really qualified to write about this, speak about it?
Well, my background is from a small town in Iowa. And I write about in the first first volume of the American Enterprise Party that it was in the old Iowa was called the God's the Laker. Because in the nineteen forties, when I was born around that time, there was no alcohol. There was actually a prohibited pro, 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 prohibition on smoking and alcohol. And there was literally no divorces or teen pregnancies because of the social pressures of a small town. That isn't the case today, I'm sure, though I don't live in Indianola, Iowa any longer. My wife and I moved, well, my wife and I met in high school in Indianola, got married when I was going to Simpson College, that's in Indianola, a liberal arts school, uh, small because Indianola is small. Uh, in in Simpson, my my degree was in liberal arts and business, and uh, didn't really specialize in accounting. But Arthur Anderson and Company, the largest accounting firm at the time in the world, recruited at, at Simpson because of the success they'd had with liberal arts students uh, becoming con consultants rather than just those accountants that did auditing and tax work because Arthur Anderson's major growth was in their consulting business on systems and, and ultimately healthcare. So I was uh, recruited at Simpson by Arthur Anderson. Selected, I guess I should say, because my professor recommended me for the um, Wall Street Journal Award, which selects the best business graduate for that particular year. And so I got that and then had my interview with uh, one of the partners out of Chicago to um, take a job at Arthur Anderson, which I uh, you know, it was my best interview up to that point. Uh, there were the interviews were all about some kind of sales position and insurance or selling encyclopedias or something like that. But my major was not accounting. So when a public accounting firm, a CPA firm, offered me a job, um, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And going from Indianola, which was about uh, five to ten thousand in population from a small college was quite a leap. So just to give you some of that background, uh, also um, I've had some sixty years experience in healthcare. So a lot of my writings, my I have nine healthcare books. I have five political books, and the healthcare came from experience, and the politics came from, I guess, I have a interest in politics and have written manuscripts off and on since 1991 about the American Enterprise Party. So as the author of multiple healthcare and political books, and also a CPA, I have extensive experience in all facets of healthcare. So one of my major books is has just been released by uh, 
by my publisher, um, Page Turner Press, called Healthcare for All. So if you want to pick that up, it talks about why Medicare for All will never work and why the government is a monopsony when it comes to healthcare. They are the major purchaser. And we're not buying outcomes, we're paying income for, to the providers to merely uh, look for a code to bill and not really focusing in on curing anything or preventing anything or preserving Americans' health. And in the book, I also point out that's why we had the pandemic and that's why we have to make changes in our healthcare funding system because the funding drives the care. Not the care. It should be the care drives the funding, but that's not the case. Right now, these codes are all input codes. So you, when, they, when they ask you for your Medicare number and, and your zip code and for your diagnosis code from your doctor, they're establishing a payment mechanism just strictly based upon these input codes. It should be, of course, an output code. You know, I have cancer. Do I still have cancer? Is an outcome. Or no, I don't. I still have cancer, and this is is the status. It's not based on a, 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 a list of problems and interventions by um, episode of care, which logically it should be. Uh, it is not. So healthcare is quite upside down. It costs 4.2 trillion dollars a year to fund what's really uh, socialized medicine. And when they would passed Obamacare, it was promised that you could keep your doctor. It wouldn't cost America one dime. And it's causing, costing us 140 trillion dimes. And so our, our dependence on the government for delivering healthcare in an effective um, um, quality manner isn't happening. So pick up that book. Uh, my political background, um, as a consultant with Arthur Anderson Company, I was a part of the team, team that rolled out Medicare and Medicaid for the government in hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, and long-term care campuses. I was also a consultant during that period of time. The state and federal government were devising payment methods for healthcare providers and served on governmental committees developing legislation for long-term care. And I testified before legislative committees as an expert witness. I was also later in my career, um, a licensed nursing home administrator in many states and a Medicare regulatory expert for the American Nursing Home Association and the Illinois Nursing Home Association as well as being an adjunct professor, professor, excuse me, um, uh, in uh, healthcare administration. So that just gives you a little bit of a background in terms of healthcare and the political system. Um, my views when it comes to party politics is just kind of that of a student of the last 40, 50 years having owned my own businesses for 40 years and uh, investing capital 
um, that I borrowed or I was able to attract or the sweat capital, which uh, all entrepreneurs have to have sweat capital, which means you can mix your time and efforts without getting paid for it until your enterprise is established and making money. So that experience, along with having a tax practice in my accounting firms, I, I had a, a, um, an accounting firm after I was a, left Arthur Anderson. I was a partner in two other uh, account, accounting firms, CPA firms, and then eventually um, opened my own CPA practice. And in that practice, I had principally um, healthcare clients because of my expertise in the Medicare program. Um, so that background got me involved in the political end by being a uh, expert witness for the nursing home associations. And the CPA Society also designated me as the expert on long-term care or nursing home care, which led us my wife and my son and I to eventually acquire three skilled nursing facilities with the plan that we would set up a, eventually set up a franchise business where we would take these kind of dilapidated, falling down nursing homes, rehabilitate them into a, a different approach to restoring people after they've been in the hospital or as they age and need 24 hour care. In the process of doing that, we found out that unless you're ready to become a 20 or 50 or 100 unit nursing home chain, the likelihood of setting up a franchise business is, is not gonna happen. With our three facilities that we bought, we restored them into a branded, I called it the All-American Care, uh, uh, restorative care. So the care was based on the being the best in restoring uh, the elderly back home. And we focused on taking the, the cases from the hospitals because they were being discharged from the hospital most times too soon. And we had to, you know, get prepared to improve our equipment and improve our staffing and improve all of our uh, services to be able to take post-hospital subacute care elderly patients to keep to get them to a point where we could restore them. So it was like the four R's as we we um, rehab them, we um, restore their the physical being, and when we have to um, reintegrate them back into a societal environment, first of all in the nursing home and then into the community, back into the community, hopefully with their family or uh, into an assisted living or independent living setting. And that idea was to, to eventually acquire the rural nursing homes that are, like I say, basically run down and eventually will go out of business because they can't meet the 
the regulatory standards for a physical property and building, and they aren't complying with um, staffing standards and the chains can get by with it because they always know that when the surveyors are coming, they always staff up for that. So it's not a, a um, free, enter, free market enterprise business. It's pretty much run by the government, even though we invested $500,000 in each facility to get them up to the, our standards and on what we plan to offer as a, as a franchise in, in a look, a brand, uh, uh, a service that would get these people back home. Most nursing homes are warehousing their residents. They call them, I call them patients because they were patients. Uh, they warehouse residents on Medicaid, aren't really into the restorative, restoring them back home. It's rare that you will find facilities that are specializing on being a transition business from the doctor's office the to the hospital, the hospital to the skilled nursing facility, and then uh, moving them back to an intermediate step to home and then home. And we planned on setting up that, that the rest of the episodic um, journey, which is missing. So that gives you a little background on my uh, interest in healthcare and also my interest in politics, because everything's affected by, by politics. Uh, the government is now the, the purchaser of last resort. It is, we don't have two parties. We've got basically one party that that gets in control, and then another party wants to get in control, and we don't have any bipartisan uh, solutions to the problems. These are just issues that the politicians debate and then bury in a <clears throat> in a uh, subcommittee or uh, wait till the next election. So the American Enterprise Party is my proposed solution as a swing vote party to pull these extreme ideologies that are, that are developing here under the banner of uh, liberals versus conservatives and the left versus the right and the, and the progressives versus the regressives. You know, it's all a game of control. And fear is the main um, deciding factor is who can scare who the, the most to get a vote, get voted, and then forget what you promised. And so the, the American Enterprise Party is a third party to be the swing vote in a, at every level of of uh, politics, state, federal, city, school board, you name it, the, the tiebreaker. Because in most of these situations, we have gridlock. And there's one party that's going to have enough money to control until the other party comes up with enough money or propaganda to get control. That in itself is, is turning us into what we thought we were going to change China into us, we're being changed into China, where we have basically 545 uh, so-called elected officials. That's 100 senators, 435 um, representatives, 
a Supreme Court and one president that for at least four years and typically eight years are controlling everything. And those policies and, and elections have consequences, as we can see when we go from a Trump um, administration and policies to a Biden administration and um, policies and procedures, and it's a mess. And at this point, we'll be lucky if we survive the Biden administration because all they want to do is 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 reverse what Trump was working uh, that had the Trump label on it. And if Trump had been somewhat humble in terms of how he uh, celebrated some of his successes, he would still be in, in charge. And so to avoid that happening every four years or eight years, uh, we need a tiebreaker. And the American Enterprise Party represents American enterprise and American enterprising workers. So it's a huge voting block. It's basically basically been called the independents in the past or those people that swing from one party to the next based upon either the propaganda or the news media or um, money ticks what I call it. So, you know, if you're interested in change and maybe wanting to be a part of that, pick up the American Enterprise Party. Volume one is why do we have to do it? Uh, number two, volume number two is how to do it. It's for a plan of reorganization of, of basically a insolvent or bankrupt country, because that's where we are. Due to the imbalance of trade, we are basically in the hole by 30 trillion that, that's booked, a budgetary deficit of 30 trillion that's accumulated and 158 trillion of obligations we have recorded. The obligations of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, government pensions, so on and so forth. So we've cooked the books to the point that it looks like we're only 30 trillion in the hole and we're much, much more. If you don't believe me, go to the usdebtclock.com and it's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the United States Government Budget Office are forecasting out on an accrual basis what the current financial status is of America and Russia, other countries, and it does a state by state. All states and the federal government are in negative net worth position when it comes to accrued accounting principles. And China, our main competitor, is converting to, to the uh, generally accepted accounting principles accrual basis budgeting because they, they have in their mind, they're going to destroy America by controlling the monetary system and the trade uh, supply lines. And we're almost there. So we don't have a lot of time. So that's why I am doing the podcast. That's why I've written the books. And that's why I'm eliciting support. And I've been told by most everyone that I present the idea to this, you know, this will never happen. Well, it may not happen until we crash, but the crash is pretty imminent. We have a $600 trillion uh, derivative bubble driven by the Federal Reserve, our debt, and deficit spending by either both parties and the stock market that can crash at any time, just on um, um, 
what the president says or doesn't say. So maybe that'll help you in understanding why I'm doing this and what my background is. And can I be believed? Can I be followed? Because I have been a leader in my businesses and in my experience in, in government. Uh, you'll have to make that judgment uh, as, as you watch the news. And I don't mean watch the, the fake news. You know, it's hard to find what is the real news. In my opinion, Fox News is closer than CNN was until we uh, we switched because we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't see with common sense that CNN represented Middle America and Fox News says they are, and in most respects they may do that. And I switched from the the um, Chicago Tribune and the New York Times and the Washington Post to Epic Times. And you may not have heard of Epic Times or the U.S. Debt Clock. If you haven't heard of those, you better get exposed because whoever you're going to vote for, you better have both sides of the, of the disaster because it is a disaster. And the dominoes will fall with Russia doing what they're doing and China doing what they're doing and our foolish uh, administration says they're going to renegotiate with Iran. I mean, this is just crazy. Afghanistan, Ukraine, look at the results. It's just mind-boggling. So, you know, if you're looking for some solutions to numerous problems, go to the American Enterprise Party trilogy, volumes one through three. and. Uh, Give it a listen. I'll be back. Thanks for thanks for listening. Bye.